Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now here are our topics. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price, and today I am joined by not one, but two guests, because, uh, well, why not? So both of these gentlemen have been on the podcast before. Uh, first, I want to introduce uh, Hunter. You may know him from those recent episode. Uh, I think it was called We Can Agree on That, which I got lots of feedback for on social media. So you're a mini celebrity now, Hunter. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, man. Yeah, I heard a few people actually didn't mind what I said. So that was a good, uh, that was good to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a few people say, you know, good things. A few people say some other things, but yeah. <laughs> welcome on back. And we also are joined here today by Mr. Lloyd Ogden, who was on episodes uh, self-titled Lloyd Ogden and an episode called Lip Service and Closing Arguments, One Out of Two. Lloyd, you've been on three of my episodes now? What is going on here? Wow, I'm an OG. Thanks. What's good? Yeah, well, welcome back to the podcast, Lloyd. So this is my first time having uh, three people on at the same time. So uh, well, we're just going to see where this goes. But yeah, thank you both for coming on today. I had been spending the last few episodes uh, talking about kind of topics that aren't strictly related to U.S. politics. We talked about China's concentration camps and some technology called Neuralink. So if you have not already, please go back and check out those episodes. Uh, but for today's episode, we're going to be talking about, well, private, well, starting off with the $15 an hour uh, minimum wage debate. There are some conversations going on right now as some Democrats are introducing this package into this $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus package. The $15 hour minimum wage increase is lumped into that. And there are some people in our Congress who do not feel like that belongs in a stimulus package. Uh, let me just start off right there. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Lloyd, specifically. Do you think that we should increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour? I'm not, I'm not totally against it. Um, the idea that we have these omnibus, these, these, these stimulus or these, uh, these bills that just include 17,000 different things is kind of silly to me, right? Like we can't agree on anything, but we can agree on 4,000 things in a bill is, is wild to me. But, um, you know, like I said, we're in a time right now where like 22% of small businesses are closing forever. Um, I don't know if that's, that's obviously COVID related and, and other, other factors, but you know, small businesses have had a pretty rough year and they've had a rough, you know, century really. Whereas the opposite effect for corporations, they've been making a lot of money um, and they, they can clearly afford a $15 wage. I just don't know about mom and pop shops. Um, that's your typical kind of conservative argument. I know, but um, I work for a, a startup and uh, they wouldn't have been able to work, uh, you know, hire the people they did if they were had, had to hire a set 15. So obviously our wages went up. We're, we're a little higher than we started, but we're not at 15 yet. You know, we don't hire at 15 yet. And I don't know if we would be able to do so. And it's just one of those things where I don't think the, 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 the mindset of a small business owner is really uh, considered when you think about the wages. I think you look at Amazon and Google and these companies that can clearly afford it. And you sort of just assume that since they can afford it, we all can afford it. And I don't know if that's the case. So I don't know. I'm on the fence. It might work out, but yeah, I don't know. All small right. Business, so. Well, you know, that is definitely, 
something that I feel like everyone should be concerned by. You don't want, while the minimum wage increase is primarily focused on helping workers who are unable to really kind of make ends meet with current wages, helping them rise up a little bit. Uh, no one wants at the same time that businesses start going out of business because then who's going to employ these low wage workers, right? So, you know, Hunter, I want to bring you in now. Like, what do you feel about the $15 an hour minimum wage debate? Like, do you feel like we should be increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard conversation. It's hard to know what the right answer is because there's a lot of there's a lot of sides to it. You know, on one end, you've got people that are really in a bad spot and you want to help those people. But I, I, I own a small business now and I'm looking at hiring someone. I'm looking at like $10 an hour, right? And if you were to bump that up to 15, that means the price of the product has to go up. And then that makes it even more impossible to compete with something like Amazon. So it may not cause inflation, right? Who knows? Um, but it would definitely make it so that this path we're on where like a few companies, at least this is how I feel about it. Uh, it would make it so that these companies that already have control over the market so much, it would make them in even a better position because they can afford to pay. So now someone say in a startup company like Lloyd's or like mine, you have even less options of where to work so they can hire more people, keep everyone at $15 an hour while still giving big money to people at the top. So that would be my argument against doing it. But my argument for is that there are people that are getting paid poverty wages in our country. I mean, there's people that are making $10 an hour. And guess what? The, if you count that out, I think it's what, $400 a week times 52 is like, what is that? Five, so that's like 20 something thousand of really low. And our poverty line is 24 or 28,000. I forget the exact number. But if you're working 40 hours a week and below that line, that's not okay either. I think we need to figure out a solution. And I think it comes, it comes down to something with these corporations. They've got too much control. I mean, I could not agree with you more about the fact that the corporations have too much control. Uh, you know, just, just to throw out a little bit of uh, knowledge here, I just want to uh, uh, cite a few different things that I was able to dig up. You know, we have already had about, you know, I think a handful of cities raise their minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, I think there are six in particular who have. And UC Berkeley did a study around these six major like cities and found that there was no significant uh, negative employment effects from raising the minimum wage in those areas. In fact, some cities had stronger private sector growth than the average comparable county. However, with that be also being said, the Federal Reserve Chair did come out last year, or I'm sorry, this was 2019, and said that there is no clear consensus among you know, economists. They're kind of all over the place on this one. Some of them think that it helps and some of them feel like it hurts, but there's absolute, they're absolutely split is what he was basically trying to say. So- I bet it, they're it, all doing the research that confirms what they already thought. You know what I mean? It's right. probably not, no one's like, wow, I'm shocked. It's way better than I thought. And no one's like, oh my God, this is awful. They all thought it before. And now they're like, see, here's the data that supports what I already thought. That's why they're still split, I would bet. There's, there's a weird angle to this, too, where the actual minimum wage is zero, right? If someone never hires you in the first place, then you never made that wage, right? And so I don't think these, these studies or surveys really take into account the effect of, like, maybe they didn't fire anybody. Maybe, maybe things kind of went on as normal, but maybe they didn't grow as much as – maybe there was a, some of the plans got, you know, put on the back burner in, in ways that aren't measurable on a chart, you know what I mean? So – that's one thing I always think about is just maybe 
you know, the real minimum wage is zero. If you, if anyone didn't know that. Lloyd so, always here for the libertarian take. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. Do you guys think that, do you think that it actually decreased employment overall? Or do you think that the overall employment went up? And then did those, did the employment numbers go to corporations or did they go to small businesses if the employment went up? Well, you know, I, I saw some information about this because, you know, I was trying to dig up as much research as I can, but I would say strangely enough, this is a hard thing to research, but it probably isn't that strange given uh, how media is controlled, but we can talk about that for a different day. Uh, so as I was trying to look up information for this, there were people who were studying the Seattle area because Seattle was like the first like major city to implement this. So they've had the longest running quote unquote experiment with higher wages. And it's, it found that there were certain sectors of the economy in and around Seattle that due to the $15 an hour minimum wage suffered because they were not able to just keep up with the rise of inflation that kind of happened after the $15 an hour minimum wage set in. But then there were other sectors of the economy that flourished and did even better than they did previously. So now that while that is just one study, it kind of points to the fact that some people, you know, did really well and some people didn't in this particular case. And I feel like that's probably a fair assessment of what would happen, you know, but, you know, the question that I come to really is kind of like back to what you were saying, Hunter, you know, we really should do something. I just wonder whether or not this is it. I frankly am in agreement that this should be what we do, but, you know, maybe there would be some unintended consequences that come along with it. Wouldn't, so, uh, wouldn't you guys agree like we should need, we should have a, the most free market possible, not free, not totally free, but like the freer the market, usually the better, right? That's kind of how, how it works in a, in a capitalist society that we pretend to be in, right? And so that your study kind of proves that the, the government can come in and kind of can pull the strings and have one place fail and, and another thing uh, succeed, you know, that's sort of the anti antithesis of a free market. And that's one of my arguments. Again, I'm not totally against it, but one of the arguments I have is like, just when the government comes in, just you keep setting boundaries and keep setting boundaries and keep setting boundaries. And you get to a point where like the government can just like do something or take something away and have just dramatic effects on the market. It's kind of the opposite of a free market to me. So, and it's concerning. Uh, I think we should deal with, you know, the, the, the reasons that $15 an hour is needed rather than just give some give give everybody you know force everyone to have that 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 number on their paycheck you know but i would say the free market is the reason why these things occur i actually so you look at um i know we're probably going to get to it anyway but you look at like what happened recently with gamestop and amc and all these things they use that free market as leverage when they want something these elites i'll call them elites they're ridiculous they've got money like yeah. you wouldn't believe and then guess what the moment that the little people actually start to use the free market in their advantage, then all of a sudden they want it regulated. You see, they, they use that to trick you, or at least in my opinion, they, they use it to trick you into thinking it's a good thing and that the government's going to come in and take everything from you while it's benefiting them. And then when it's not benefiting them, they'll flip a 180. It's just about keeping power. And eventually capitalism runs off a cliff because eventually capitalism just consolidates into smaller and fewer amounts of people that control more and more amounts of wealth. And if you have a completely free market, you have to come to them for a job or else you have nothing unless you can start your own business. And a lot of people don't have, honestly, it's not their fault, but they don't have the training or the ability mentally, some people to go ahead and make a business. 
And so then you have to go to these people. And if there's no restriction on it, they can pay you $5 an hour and you can hope you can survive on that. I mean, it gets, it gets to be a problem if you have a completely free market. Yeah, no, I, I see what both of you are saying. You know, I think that when we're talking about this, the underlying issue that we haven't addressed yet is just the rate of inflation and what it's been. You know, I, I think we're going to talk about that here now. You know, inflation has been going up regardless. So, you know, it, it's one thing to say like, oh, well, you know, if we raise the minimum wage, it's just the government getting in the way of the free market. Well, the market has remained unchecked for the last you know, decade as we haven't instituted a new minimum wage since 2009 and inflation has been going through the roof, but wages are staying the exact same. You know, like at, you know, I know that even people who advocate for the most minimalistic of government, at some point you're supposed to have the government step in, you know, in, in some extreme cases. And I feel like this, in my opinion, is an extreme case when there is no wage like growth really for the bottom percent of this country for a decade plus, you know, someone's got to step in. It's not like the American economy was really hurting, you know, pre-COVID anyway. I mean, obviously businesses around this country were doing well. So it's not, it wasn't really asking too much for them to raise the wages of their employees. But, you know, let's talk about inflation here for a second. I think, Hunter, you went and did some research on inflation. Am I correct here? Yeah, tell us a little bit about what you uh, what you learned in your studies here. So just an interesting, just some minor background on history of inflation. Um, one of the most popular and known inflation events was in Germany between 1921 and 1923, June of 1921 to November of 2023. And during that time, their highest monthly inflation rate was like 30,000%, which means that prices were doubling on everything every few days. Um, what happened was they left the gold standard because they thought they would win World War, right? That didn't happen. We all know that. And so then when they had to pay all their war debt, they had to exchange their money because they wouldn't, they won't, no one would accept the payment in Germany's money. So they'd have to exchange their money at horrible rates to pay the war debt. So what did they do? They just print a shit ton of money. They just print it all out and say, what do we care? Here, we'll trade you a million of these for whatever. And then the $50 bill, went to like a $500 bill to a 5,000, all the way up to a $50 trillion bill over the course of a year and a half here we're talking. And most of their bills ended up being better as fire kindling than currency in that time. So you can see how fast hyperinflation can really get out of control there. And then Hungary had like the worst case in history. I didn't bring up all the numbers on it, but cause it was like way further back. And that's something I'm gonna get to here. Um, but then in Venezuela, I think a lot of people know about that one too. It's something the Republicans talk a lot about because they say, oh, socialists, we're going to be Venezuela. It's going to be awful. And um, basically what happened was there was a ton of government control. There was lack of medicine and their gas is tanking despite like the best oil reserves. And they had a ton of sanctions from the U.S. So their inflation rate was like 16 or 1,600,000% in 2018. And between the years of 2008 and 2016, they had an inflation rate uh, over that time of like 54 million percent. So even right now in Venezuela, the prices are doubling every few weeks. And I think that's what a lot of Republicans are afraid of. But I will say this, I think that's different. I think now we kind of have a different system in America and there's modern monetary theory. And basically it says that you can kind of print out money as long as you have, um, what is the word for it? 
there, ha there has to be something, there's like a backup for it. And I forgot the word for it and I didn't write it down. But the point, the point is, is that they've been testing this and you guys have noticed maybe that you might have to pay more for something, but you also have more to pay for it. It's like matching the price increases in America. And then you'll notice that like in certain sectors, you'll experience inflation, maybe um, in home prices, for example, but you might experience deflation in your cost for groceries, as an example. So these are things that happen with inflation, regardless of what you do. Right. No, I mean, I, I thank you for giving us all of that. And that, that is definitely true. You know, as you know, certain prices in the economy definitely go up, we are seeing others go down. You know, Lloyd, I kind of want to bring you back in on this one here. Uh, what do you think, you know, from a from a more conservative standpoint, you know, what, what do you think the right way to, you know, to attack, you know, the rising inflation is just, you know, in your personal opinion? I think I think it's incredibly difficult in a partisan system like we have, right, where they're fighting over 50% of the Senate right now, you know, like, to have that one extra vote is so important for them because they know that they're going to, you know, sh sh cram uh, legislation down the pipe that the other side doesn't agree with and vice versa, right? I think it's pretty difficult to address when, when that's just the, the, what happens every two to four years. I, I really don't know. I really don't know how you address it, but um, I, I don't think you have to look far. That, that Germany example was a good one. That's, that's one that I was actually thinking about. But I, I think that one, I think we're, looking, we're thinking too hard about it in the sense that if you look at the, just the United States in general, right, like what are the things that we argue about? You know, healthcare, uh, school, probably two, two biggest ones, right? Uh, you know, secondary education plus healthcare, right? In 1960, the average cost of healthcare uh, 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 a family would spend per capita, $147, right? That in 2010, that's $8,402, right? Like, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? Like, that's, that's an inflation that is like not acceptable. And you look at school, right? In, uh, if you go to like 1970, the average school was like uh, $1,533, right? This average school in 2017, $31,519, right? That's uh, uh, non-public institutions. And so like, that's the kind of inflation that scares me because that doesn't match, that's not matching other other things. Like, like, like Hunter said, some things, you know, they, they kind of roll on that curve, right? We can afford groceries still and we can continue to afford groceries. But when, when something like, you know, housing or, or healthcare or, or, you know, a school or, or whatever floats that, you know, surpasses that curve well high that has to go into your 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 uh you know your your expenditures you have to count that into it and it just becomes affordable unaffordable but um i guess that also another argument against like um uh wealth inequality that's a different whole different argument there but um, i think you don't have to look far to to know that we have an extreme inflation in some places uh and even if it is good in, in, in other places we, we have to address you know the key the key issues of inflation where they're just not acceptable, which is, you know, some of the big issues. Okay. And, you know, I, I think, you know, as we're like wrapping up this topic about inflation, you know, the, the one thing that, you know, we're kind of rounding back to the beginning here that is trying to be done about it is again, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour to address the rising of inflation. I personally do not believe that it's going to be the end all be all because, you know, as you can just raise the minimum wage, well, inflation can just rise again. Personally, I feel as though if we're ever going to really address this topic, we should be doing what other countries have done, which is just pegging the minimum wage to the rise of inflation on an annual basis. And so as inflation continues to rise, the minimum wage can rise with it, which probably would also allow for businesses to all be constantly, you know, correcting things. So there isn't really too much of a fluctuation 
and them trying to adjust the market so suddenly. But as far as that is concerned, that is about to enter into what is called budget reconciliation. Uh, the Democrats are trying to put it into you know, to a, a spending bill where they're going to go through this process called budget reconciliation, which will allow them to only have 51 votes in order to pass it, rather than the 60 that you would need if they did it through what's called regular order, because they're trying to avoid uh, the dreaded filibuster. And this is a topic that I definitely want to talk to both of you on. But before we do that, we are actually going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, um, well, all of our feelings on the filibuster and whether we think it should continue to exist or not. We'll be right back. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at BathingBeautiesBeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. All right, everyone, welcome back from the break. For today's episode, I am joined by my new guest, new to the podcast, Dalton Fittick. Thanks for coming on to the show, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So one of the, re- you know, you and I had talked, um, I think it was uh, a few days ago, and I wanted to get you onto the podcast because one of the things that I'm trying to do with this current season is diversify the topics and the content that I'm bringing to the podcast as of right now, I've been, you know, primarily speaking to a left-leaning audience. Uh, I myself am a left-leaning person. I recruited a lot of people who I know were, I think, Bernie supporters when I was go when I was co- like combing through Twitter. So we haven't really gotten too many perspectives from the right or people who vote Republican. So I wanted to have you come on today and kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, when I, we were talking before you were telling me that just in the last few years, like you have kind of found yourself going more and more to the right, 
you would say. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Like what's been pushing you away from the Democratic Party? So, um, you know, a little bit about me, like with me becoming, you know, politically active, especially this year. Um, back in 2016, I wasn't too politically active, even though I did end up voting for Trump. Um, you know, that was just an anti-Hillary vote. But um, I guess a lot of it has to do with the current culture war we have going on. Um, whereas culturally, I would definitely say I'm more right-leaning versus, um, whereas economically, I'm more centrist, um, I would have to say. But with the culture war, it kind of pushes me right because of, you know, the cancel culture and just some of the actions that I've seen from the left that I'm like, whoa, like that's too much for me kind of deal. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. I, I know that, you know, as, as I'm probably, you know, having people listen to this right now, I'm sure a lot of people's ears are like, what is, you know, what does he mean by that? So, <laughs> yes. you, you know, cause I, this is usually, you know, for the most part, been an echo chamber at, at this point, you know, I haven't had too many people come on to this podcast who have had a difference in opinion than myself. So let's, uh, let's talk about what exactly is cancel culture for those who may be listening to and just aren't familiar with that. Well, I guess everyone's definition of cancel culture is different depending on where you fall on the spectrum. Um, you know, for instance, I know there's some people on the far right that would like to see people canceled for um, having, believing in socialist views or posting, you know, that we should be violent towards, you know, Nazis or whatever you want to call, you know, the opposing faction um, where and on the left you, you have, I feel like it's, it's a million times worse, if that makes sense. Like um, when, when someone has a take that is more light, uh, more right leaning than what they believe in, in general, this is all generalities. So um, yeah. they tend to attack that person for those views, which I think is not correct. And then they try to call their job, you know, and get them fired because, you know, they immediately call them a racist, you know, and they get a bunch of people and go public with it and it's it's just like uh it's basically ruining people's lives so you think that you know this this behavior that we're seeing on twitter where if someone says something that another group of people doesn't like and then a bunch of people get organized to try to get that person fired from their job you think that that is just dangerous for you know our country as a whole is that what is that what you're trying to say is that fair to say correct because i think we're flirting with censoring speech, you know, that might not necessarily be violent. You know, obviously there's limitations with what the First Amendment will cover, but like you, you can't go into a crowded mall and yell fire or a movie theater, you know, like that's illegal because that's inciting a panic, inciting violence. But whereas if you have a controversial take on something, you 
I think that's okay to have a differing of opinion as long as you're not inciting violence or inciting any type of mass hysteria. Okay. And so from what you've seen, you believe that this is more prevalent on the left than on the right. Is that also fair to say? Correct. I mean, the right definitely does partake in this, but I would say not to the magnitude that we see coming from the left. And so there have been times where I've seen people calling for people to be canceled, just kind of like putting my cards on the table a little bit. I personally am against the idea of cancel culture. I know that that's probably taboo to say as somebody who has been on here advocating for, you know, a lot of policies that the Democrats also advocate for, but I'm not a real big fan of cancel culture. I don't like the idea of censoring people unless it's something kind of like really, you know, insane. I guess, you know, we can all like determine where those lines are drawn. Um, but at the same time, I understand when people, you know, are rightly criticized. But I think there's a difference between criticizing people for things that they say and then trying to make sure that they never work again. I feel like that's... Of course. Yeah, there's a, there's a really big distinction there. Just so the listeners out there understand where I'm coming from with this. Um, so with the cancel culture thing, I, I think, you know, I've established like how you, you feel about that. Do you think it's a really big issue though? Like, do you see this happening a lot or is it just, or is it something that just happens here and there that gets overblown when it does happen? I think that there's ebbs and flows to it for sure. Um, you know, like at sometimes I definitely feel like it's very quiet, you know, where it's not happening a lot. But then you have situations like pretty much this entire year, at least since COVID, um, where if you have a controversial take on something, it seems to be heightened. You know what I mean? Like the scrutiny is just, it seems to have taken on another level from years past, if that makes sense. No, I see what you're saying. Is there anything specifically that comes to mind for you when you say that? Or are you just like speaking in general? Um, I'm speaking, you know, in very general terms. Um, like, because uh... I know that there's been times, you know, with the COVID situation, kind of just like branching off to this really quickly here. You know, there were some people who were saying, you know, like, oh, just go out and, you know, live your best life. Don't worry about, you know, wearing a mask or something like that. And then other people would get upset saying, you know, like, how dare you promote being unsafe right now, which yeah, would be the kill grandma, which would be the reply that, you know, the science is inconclusive to which people would reply. The science is not inconclusive. And it's just, so it, it gets to a really murky area for a lot of people. It just depends on what set of facts do you want to believe in? I, I think in this particular case, when it, when the COVID gets brought up, you know, it really comes down to the fact that we have an issue in our society where no one seems to know what is the truth anymore. We just have people who have their own sets of facts and then people getting mad at each other for the sets of facts that they have. Yes. Like, I mean, you can make any set of numbers or data points fit your narrative that you want to push, you know? So like you have these two sides that are, very much at odds and then the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle you know but if you say something that disagrees with either side then you're an outcast you know and then you're a horrible human being 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it does. It is, it is, you know, when we talk about like things like this kind of trans, you know, transitioning away from cancel culture here and just talking about like what type of speech is or is not acceptable, you know, it kind of goes into the, the censorship route, which I know has been a really big topic of discussion on the right. I know I've seen a lot of uh, YouTubers who are more right leaning talking about censorship a lot, especially with how Twitter has been uh, coming after President Trump quite a bit, you know, and how I tie this into the previous conversation with COVID, it's like, I personally am a person who believes that, you know, wearing a mask is a good thing, uh, especially to reduce the risk of, you know, transmission. So when I would see people saying something like that, I don't think to myself like, oh, that person needs to lose their job. I just think to myself, I don't need to listen to what that person has to say. Like who, who exactly are yeah. they, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, I think there needs to be a level of autonomy given to people. Like, you know, like you just have to just recognize like, hey, you don't have to listen to what any random person says, but there's differences when they're like somebody of really big importance. And I don't mean like an actor in Hollywood, but rather like, um, you know, the president himself. Yeah, the president <laughs> of the United States, important, yeah. Yeah, so how, how do you, let me ask you about this now. How do, how do you feel about Twitter uh, censoring, or not really censoring, but I guess like constantly flagging President Trump's tweets? Do you think that's appropriate? Um, I think within reason, yes. Um, because th th this kind of can go into a very um, crazy conversation. But, you know, like with Twitter, I believe that people should have the freedom to say what they want, you yeah. know, without being throttled. It, like I said, unless they're causing, like inciting violence or mass hysteria, you know, um, with in regards to President Trump, like, I think that he needs to get off Twitter. <laughs> I, yes. You know, like, I, I mean, I'm a, I voted for Trump and I hate that he posts a bunch of dumb stuff on Twitter. Um, but I think that it's good to fact check things, but at the same time, when you read some of the fact checks that they do, it's, it's not really a fact check, you know, like it's someone's opinion on the facts, like some of them, you know what I mean? Do you have one in specifically that you're thinking of? Um, I've actually instance, looked at a lot of his tweets and a lot of the ones that they seem to flag seem to be appropriately flagged from what I've seen, but then again, I'm not on there all the time. So maybe I've missed something. Well, I, I don't follow him on Twitter. Like I don't even have a Twitter um, because I think, Twitter is terrible, um, but I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> like, for instance, I know this is Facebook. Uh, I'm going to talk about Facebook for a second, but okay. um, the, this YouTuber that I follow, um, which is Tim Pool, he back when the whole um, you know the stuff about the Epstein case was coming out, yeah, when he made a Facebook post basically saying Bill Clinton was on the flight logs. Okay. You know, it, he didn't say where or whatever, just Bill Clinton was on the flight logs. They flagged him 
for um, missing context. Missing but, context? Yes. That's interesting. And like when you open it up, it says, while Bill Clinton was on the flight logs, there is no guarantee that he went to the island, you know? And it's like, well, he didn't say that in his Facebook post. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like you're flagging it. So someone who's just reading it is going to be like, oh, well, this is fake, you know, and not believe it when all he said was that he was on the flight logs, which is 100% true. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. that's that's where I have an issue with the fact checking and uh, quote unquote censorship. Yeah. But um, as far as like if you're talking about some of the crazy conspiracy theories that, you know, Sidney Powell is throwing out there, you know, all right. It, like I, I can understand trying to get the correct information out there. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. There's, I mean, well, Sidney Powell's a whole different story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't have to talk about Sidney Powell. That's another rabbit hole. Yeah, for those who are not familiar with uh, her name, uh, you are, feel free to Google at this, pause the episode, feel free to Google her. You'll have a little bit of fun for a few minutes. <laughs> don't um, go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that, I, I have not uh, seen what you were personally referring to, but just if, if it's exactly how you're describing it, yeah, I can understand why that'd be frustrating. Because if he just stated, you know, the fact that Bill Clinton was on some flight logs and Bill Clinton was in fact on some flight logs and they still felt the need to flag it, it does seem like a little bit of favoritism going on there. Um, but, you know, censorship, you know, again, this this is just my belief. You know, I... I think it can be an issue. You know, I think it's something that we should all be mindful of. I am not on like, again, this this ties directly into the idea of cancel culture. I don't like the idea that we would be censoring people unless it's something like truly like dangerous, you know, because um, censorship can swing both ways. As I wouldn't want somebody who disagrees with me to be censored, I also don't want to be censored. So I feel like that has to go, you know, like I think it, it needs to stay in that realm where we just are really careful about how we lock up speech. You know, the, the president definitely feels like a unique case. I've said on previous episodes that, you know, the things that he says are, I think, not, I mean, I, I think dangerous is, can be the right word. Uh, because there are so many people who believe what he has to say. There's tens of millions of people who follow every single thing that he says and does. And I just feel like he needs to be more appropriate with how he you know, conducts himself. So, and, and a lot of people, I feel like when they think about President Trump, all they think about is the rhetoric. And when they hear that, some, that so many people voted for him, they get confused as to why, because they just think about the rhetoric. So let me ask you directly, what is it that made you vote for uh, Donald Trump? Like originally, you said in 2016, it was an anti-Hillary vote. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, you know, I go back to like when I was growing up as a child, um, I was in a military family, which means pretty much a Republican family, you know, um, a more conservative um, you know, big military, like always support the military, you know. So back in 2016, um, Hillary, when she was Secretary of State, 
I didn't like how she was basically treating the military. Okay. You know, and you go back to the Benghazi stuff and uh, how how she felt about the wars and whatnot. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really jive with this. And I wasn't crazy politically active back then. All I knew is that I like the military and I want a strong military, you know, but not necessarily one that goes to a lot of wars. Okay. If that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Was there anything else about Hillary besides that that like turned you off from her? Um, just that she had been in politics forever. Um, you know, you go back to Bill Clinton, you know, and then she was secretary of state under Obama. Um, and I, I don't like establishment politicians, whether it be Republican or Democrat, you know, and I think that that just someone who's an establishment politician, I just don't like, you know, that's, that's fair to say. I, um, what is it about like establishment politics that does bother you? Um, the fact that they can sit in Congress forever and not get anything done and get paid and be rich and, you know, not really care about the American people. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a fair thing to say. And when Trump was running originally, you thought to yourself, like, this guy is going to break up that, like, I, I guess, um, the establishment a little bit, somebody who's, as he was running as an outsider, that's what he said he was running as. Yeah, like he was on the Republican ticket, but I think we can all say that he's not a true Republican. Um, you know, he was a new guy, not in politics, you know, so I think myself and obviously a bunch of other people wanted to give him a shot in 2016. And just to see what would happen that wasn't the status quo. Okay. Now, a lot of people's like main objections to Donald Trump, again, are like his behavior, things that he says, things that he's portrayed about other people. You know, obviously, I don't need to go into the long list. We all know what he's been <laughs> accused of at this point. Yep. Uh, what is, why didn't that affect your decision? Um, in 2016 or 2020? In 2016. Well, 2016, I was, you know, not a very informed voter. Um, so I wasn't really reading up on everything at the time. Okay. Um, and like I said, it was more of a um, vote against Hillary. Okay. But in 2020, I have a different story, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, and I am going to ask you about that really momentarily here. Uh, <laughs> last thing here is one of the, before I get away from 2016 here for a second, when we spoke originally, you had said that you might have voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016. You, you considered it. Is that, is that what you said? Yes, I would have considered it. Um, you know, I couldn't vote in the primary in 2016 for Bernie, um, like it, because I'm a registered Republican. But yeah. if I was a registered Democrat, I would have voted Bernie in the primary in 2016. Um, and then if he would have won, then, then I would have had a more tough decision because both their policies were very similar in 2016. Um, whereas Trump is very loud and obnoxious and Bernie's kind of more reserved. So I would have, it would have been a possibility, you know, um, wouldn't have guaranteed it, but <laughs> I definitely entertained the idea. 
Okay, fair enough. So as as time has transitioned and you know we we move more to the present now, and you've seen Trump in office the last four years, so now there's no more like wondering how he's going to be as president. And we've seen who he is as president. And over the last four years, you know, there's been scandals, you know, that he's been dodging in and out of some, you know, some that were legitimate, some that were illegitimate. I'll, I'll be the first to say that. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, just on a side note, I have to say, I thought the impeachment was a waste of time, but I, we can, we can talk about that later if you want to. Um, <laughs> sure, we can go into that. <laughs> that, that was a waste of time. Um, but as you saw him like govern the last four years, what was it that made you decide to vote for him again in 2020? Like, why did you think to yourself, yes, I like what I see. I want more of this. Um, so I'll, I'll, a lot of it has to do with this year, you know, not necessarily what happened three years ago. Um, like back in 20, like we had three and a half years of a Russia investigation okay. that, that brought up nothing, you know, like it, you got a few indictments here and there and a few convictions with like Paul Manafort and, you know, um, some of his aides, but as far as him directly being a Russia agent since 1987, I don't really believe that. You know what I mean? Because there's not, it's, it hasn't been proven, you know? So yes. did, Russia, did Russia meddle in the election by spreading disinformation about Hillary Clinton and leaking the emails? Yes. 100% yes. Is that directly connected to Trump? I would say no. Look, you know what? I'm, I'm going to, I apologize. I'm going to cut you off for a brief second here. I didn't get a chance to really address this myself. Uh, my podcast started in the beginning of January of 2020. So this was like the tail end of all of this. So the impeachment was already planned and happening. Um, so I didn't get really too much of a chance to talk about it. I did briefly in like one of my first few episodes. Uh. So the when it's when it comes to that, that's the I'm sorry that's the Ukraine scandal I'm sorry I apologize but no, when it comes good. when it comes to the Russia thing you know I I feel like that was a complete waste of time um yeah. I really did because you know it kind of echoes my sentiments that I have now about the quote unquote election fraud it's like if there's proof then show it and if there's not proof then let's move on and I felt like they were dragging this out for forever and I, it just it just seemed like an unnecessary story to me. I mean, like, yes, in theory, if it had been true, it would have been a really big deal. But also, it's like the NSA and the CIA, they get paid billions of dollars every year to do intelligence. I mean, if they had something, you know, I feel like someone would have known a lot sooner. It just, it just felt like a giant waste of time. And it felt like if it was true, we would have known a lot sooner. It wouldn't have taken years to figure that out. Oh, I 100% agree. And like, so my position, like, if you want to bring it, tie it into the election that's currently going on, well, that's not officially official until January 6th, but it's official in my eyes, you know. Um, but it, if it was okay for that to happen for three and a half years, well, then why can't the Republicans do it for the next three and a half years saying that there was election fraud? You know what I mean? I don't agree with it. I'd rather just, you know, squash it it's over let's move on but at the same time i see where i think we should we could both see where the republicans can be like well 
they did it, why can't we, you know? Um, so I think the Russia thing set a bad precedent. Okay. So the Russia thing set a bad precedent. And what else was like going into your decision to like vote for him this time around? Um, the Ukraine thing, you know, um, you know, quid pro quo, right? Everyone wants to throw that term out there. Um, whereas the government does quid pro quos all the time. You know, like you have Joe Biden who openly admitted on video that he did a quid pro quo with Ukraine to get a prosecutor fired. You know, if you don't fire this prosecutor, you don't get this billion dollars. You know, like he come, he, he literally says it on, on a video. And we're, but we're going to impeach President Trump over it, even though he did it when he was vice president. You know, so like, I'm just sitting back and looking at all the hypocrisy going on from the Democrat Party, you know, okay. um, which really got it kickstarted. And then we get into COVID and, you know, what happened this summer and um, the culture war. Okay, so the, you have a, a few different things going on here that I, I can I understand where your headspace is at, like why you wanted to vote for Trump for those reasons. What is it about the like? Those are good reasons, I guess, you would want to vote for Trump. From hearing from what I have to say, what was it about the Democrats in general that made you think that you couldn't like touch them at all? Um, well, they put forth Joe Biden. You know, I th <laughs> I think that's. You know, that was a huge issue for me. Like, I think... Yeah, can I, like, I'm sorry, can I stop you right there? Was there anybody else who was more appealing to you than him? Um, I, I personally liked Tulsi a lot. Okay. And I also liked um, a decent bit of Mayor Pete. Okay. And um, Yang had some very interesting things that I would have liked to explore a little bit more with, like, UBI and stuff. Um, which is very interesting to me. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it would be interesting to read more into his take on that, you know? Okay. I like those candidates a lot better than Joe Biden. <laughs> that, that's, that's fair. I, I've said it once. I'm going to probably say it a million times. Joe Biden is not what, is not what this country needs. I, I personally just thought he was better than Trump. But So Joe Biden was the candidate. Uh, that, you know, the Democrats put forth. Is there anything else about the party that you were like, nah, I just can't do it with them? Um, well, I mean, when you go into, like, the COVID lockdowns, um, okay. that's that's a huge one for me um, because they make no sense. And also Nancy Pelosi is, like, basically the head of the Democrat Party for the last four years as being like, uh, well, I guess the last two, because she became speaker in 2018. Yeah. But, um, I think she's been the minority leader this for the times that they weren't in the majority. But yeah, so she's yes. been the, the leader. Yeah. So. so it's more, it's more the fact that there's still establishment, you know, whereas you're not getting any young blood in there, like, like a Tulsi, like a, like a Yang or a Mayor Pete. You know, and I don't, I think whether Democrat or Republican, if you're establishment, you do nothing. You know, you, you, there's a lot of lip service and nothing happens. 
Okay. So, you know, just to kind of like wrap this, this part of the conversation up, it, I think it feels pretty safe to say that you were just tired of the same old politics in Washington. Yes. A hundred percent. Which I, I can, I can a hundred percent understand that, you know, I mean, just for full disclosure, you know, like I couldn't see myself voting for Trump, but I totally agree with you on the idea of politics as usual has got to go. I mean, yes. this, this quote unquote normal uh, has never been good for anyone. I'm not really too excited about Joe Biden being in office. I'm going to be spending probably the next four years doing nothing but criticizing him on this uh, podcast because I'm just, <laughs> I'm just sure that he's going to try to bring the country back to 2012, which is nowhere that we need to be. Um, but, you know, with that being said, is there, if you, you know, could talk to somebody, you know, who was on the left, I guess you would say, someone who, you know, like feels politically different than you, like what is something that you would want them to know about you? Like as like a person who is politically different than them? Um, that we're not, all terrible people you know we're i think we want everyone to be happy we have different ways of going about that you know but not every trump supporter is a racist or a homophobe or you know a misogynist like that's not <laughs> that's not what i would say most trump supporters are yes there are some of those people and i hate those people but, you know, it, for the most part, we're all decent people and we love America and we want everyone to be happy. We just have a different way of going about it. Okay. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that whatsoever. You know, I actually, I really appreciate uh, you coming onto this podcast, uh, you know, because like I was saying earlier, you know, I just haven't had a chance to really talk to too many people who are on the other side of the political spectrum. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me about all this stuff today. Um, are there any like final thoughts that you want to leave us with? Um, you know, I just want everyone to have an open mind, have an open dialogue, you know, which is one reason why I wanted to come on your podcast and, you know, have an open dialogue with you. Um, and because I know we don't see eye to eye, but I know you're a good person, you know, and hopefully you kind of get the same, same thing for me. Um, yeah, you know. I appreciate that. <laughs> definitely. And if, if you want to, if you would be willing to have me back on and we can complain about Joe Biden once things happen, you know, <laughs> I'm all, I'm all game, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be here and I hope we can do it again sometime. You know what? We definitely will. I appreciate you coming on and I will definitely have you back on because I'm sure we're kind of in a dead period right now where, you know, during this transition, there's not too many things to talk about uh, just because of just the nature of how politics normally go during the, the in-between time between presidencies. But I'm sure, you know, like once Biden gets in office, things will start getting ratcheted up and I'm sure there'll be plenty of things to talk about. So definitely we'll, you know, reach back out to you in the future. Thanks again, Dalton. Um, for everyone else who is listening, I'm going to take one more quick break. But when I come back, you'll have my final thoughts for the day. Welcome back from the break, everyone. 
Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. If you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast. It is the best way to keep up with any potential bonus content that might be popping up, like the bonus episode that I will be having later this week that I mentioned earlier in the break because of some technical difficulties on my end. It's always fun when things do not go according to plan, but just means more episodes for everybody. So here we are. Anyway, referring to this episode now, I wanted to say again, a thank you to my guest Dalton for coming on today. I know it probably isn't uh, the easiest thing in the world coming onto somebody else's podcast who you know feels completely differently than you politically and then to have a discussion about politics. Uh, so I'm sure that that can be a little intimidating, but I'm glad that you came on and we talked and hopefully we'll uh, get you back on again in the future. Uh, to others who are listening to the podcast who might be wondering like why I've been feeling the need to have other people come on the podcast who are Republicans or people who voted for Trump. Like, like what, what is the point of having those people come on and talk to me on this podcast? And, and frankly, it just boils down to the fact that I just believe that this country right now is in a period of just hyper-partisanness uh, and I just do not believe that going forward, it is the most cohesive thing in the world if we're constantly at a point where we can't even have a conversation with each other. And I don't think that having a conversation with each other is capitulating to the other side or um, saying that someone else's views are, you know, extremely valid or this, that, and the other. But I, I do feel as though we need to have a society where we at least hear each other out. And so if nothing else, I hope that by me having more conversations like this, we can, I can at least somewhat try to normalize the idea that it's okay to have conversations with each other. Because right now the, the, the culture in America is just extremely toxic about this idea that we can't even address what the other side has to say. Now, as I'm sure some of you are aware, uh, and how, as I mentioned in the break, uh, some of the things that we referred to in this segment do seem a little bit dated. That's because we recorded this segment the last week of December. And so when we talked about uh, censoring Trump, obviously this was before the Capitol was, uh, was uh, ran up upon by domestic terrorists, as I like to call them. And before Trump was effectively banned from Twitter, uh, which I'm in full support of just because, you know, while I do not, like I said in, in that segment, while I'm not the biggest fan of censorship, there are, there are definitely uh, exceptions to that rule. And when you're the president of the United States and you're consistently touting a conspiracy theory uh, that's undermining the electoral process in our country, then, you know, maybe you don't need a platform anymore, especially when you don't have any proof. It'd be one thing, like I've said numerous times in many episodes, if Trump had proof, that would be one thing. But he's had his day in court, I believe, to the tune of 65 times. So if he had something, he could have shown it. He didn't. He continued to mouth off about it. At that point in time, you know, I'm completely okay with you being essentially banned from Twitter. Uh, and the other platforms that he was banned from as well. So as far as I'm concerned, that's kind of had that one coming to you. But 
in regards to the episode itself, um, you know, Dalton and I have very different beliefs on the world. He, you know, has a certain set of beliefs that led him to vote for President Trump. President Trump is somebody that my set of beliefs could never bring me to vote for someone like him. But, you know, I do think, again, it's important to have these conversations so that we know where each other stands. Um, with all that being said, if there is anyone out there who has any kind of comments about this episode or any kind of uh, just questions that you might have about why did I ask a question like this or why didn't I ask these questions, feel free to reach out to me, uh, DM me on Instagram or Twitter. I will definitely try to answer any, any and every question that anyone has. And if you are somebody who you yourself would like to come on and talk to me about politics on independent thought, reach out. I am currently taking guest slots for season four, which will be happening a little bit later this year. So if you are interested in being one of those future guests a few months down the road, reach out to me and we'll see if we can't set something up. Uh, but to kind of end this episode, I want to first go a little bit uh, off track here and say that uh, to those of you who have reached out to me the last week about the Neuralink episode, I want to thank every one of you for doing that. That episode is being shared pretty widely. Uh, the numbers are definitely growing on that episode. So thank everyone. I want to thank everyone who has been listening to that episode and reaching out to me to give me their feedback on it. Uh, thank you for all of that. And to finish off this episode, I just want to finish it again with a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quote where he says, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia that sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. And I referenced that quote, not because I you know, think that you know, kind of in an analogous way, you know, that was more talking about racism, I'm talking about political division right now. Um, not that I hope that one day that everyone on the left and everyone on the right will be able to come together and hold hands and sing songs, but I do hope that one day we can kind of get back to a more, more of a place where civility is more common and less scarce. With that being said, thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of Independent Thought. See you in the next episode.